Kafer Butterfield at the World Economic Forum. And I'm Miriam Vogel with Equal AI, and this is In AI We Trust. Hello and welcome back to In AI We Trust. This week we are again having a special guest co-host, Kathy Baxter. Kay is away on travel, and we are so delighted to have Kathy back with us. She is in her day job, the Principal Architect of Ethical AI Practice at Salesforce. She helps internally at Salesforce, as well as customers and industry, understand how to develop AI responsibly. She has a very extensive background on it, so she is the person to be teaching everybody, starting from her master's in science in engineering psychology, and her book that she's written, Understanding Your Users, uh, as well as her deep experience in tech at Google, eBay, Oracle, and so forth. Kathy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. This is so exciting. Well, we are delighted to be able to have your input as we talk to our special guest today, Congressman Don Beyer. This is going to be amazing. I can't wait to hear from him. Yeah, he is somebody I'm particularly excited for us to talk with and and for you to be able to ask him questions as well, because he's somebody who's a deeply thoughtful person. Uh, He has given a lot of thought to everything and especially artificial intelligence. He uh, has members of his own family who work in computer science and tech business, as well as uh, pursuing additional education himself in all of his spare time while he's in Congress. So I know it's gonna be a great conversation. Yeah, he's incredibly um, uh, impressive and enthusiastic, and and this is is gonna be great. All right, well, let's do it. Today, we are honored to be joined by Congressman Don Beyer. Congressman Beyer is serving his fourth term as U.S. Representative from Virginia's 8th District, representing Arlington, Alexandria, Falls Church, parts of Fairfax County, including the new Amazon headquarters. He serves as chairman of the Congress Joint Economic Committee, serves on the House Committee on Ways and Means, on the Committee on Science, Space, and Technology, and, relevant to our discussions, an early member of the Congressional AI Caucus. Congressman Beyer previously served as ambassador to Switzerland and Liechtenstein and served as lieutenant governor of Virginia. He also spent 14 years as chair of Jobs for Virginia Graduates, a highly successful high school dropout prevention program. Congressman Beyer, thank you so much for all that you do for all of us and for taking the time to join us today. Thank you, Miriam and and Kathy. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'm I'm hoping that I'll learn a lot from our conversation. We hope so, but we know we have a lot to learn from you. To start, you are a well-known, fierce advocate for women and children and environmental issues. You've also become personally very interested in artificial intelligence. Can you tell us how you became interested in AI and why has AI leadership and equity become an issue of interest to you? How does that fit into your overall agenda? Um, I think the existential answer is I've been a puzzle doer since I was really little. Um, I just remember doing my first 300 piece puzzle when I was eight years old. And even now there are like, um, I don't barely drink and don't smoke and don't do drugs and don't gamble, but there's a lot of books and a lot of puzzles all over the house. Um, And so AI just seemed like a really interesting puzzle. I read a piece must have been 50 years ago that I saved, I cut out and put in the scrapbook. Um, And this probably 1978, where um, I don't remember the name of the public intellectual, but he said there's so much information out there, so much data 
that we can't figure out what's meaningful and what's not. Um, we just, there's no way to sort it all into something that, that gives us, you know, a, a path forward. And that really struck me as true at the time. And in the meantime, we're, we're orders of magnitude, more information than there was before. Uh, I, you know, I, it would be apocryphal for me to talk about how much information was generated in 2021 compared to the previous year or the year before that. So what do we do with it all? So the idea that um, machine learning and, and artificial intelligence can be a way to uh, derive meaningful conclusions from all the information around us, it's just really exciting. Well, and, and it sounds like this is something you've taken a little bit more than a side interest in. I understand you're actually taking some classes and getting some A's in those classes as you pursue another degree in computer science and artificial intelligence. How's that going? It's actually, it, it's really fun. I, I'm, uh, I'm getting to bed late most nights and I haven't done a New York Times crossword puzzle this year. Uh, I'm gonna, it looks like I'll read half the books this year that I read last year because of the time spent on the course and courses. Um, but it's, it's fun and stimulating. And when I think, I keep thinking about, okay, let's, if, let me imagine myself X years from now, actually with a master's degree in artificial intelligence, what would I do with it? And uh, there are just more ideas all the time about um, how, just, you know, humble me with one degree could use it. What if, you know, with Amazon here and Virginia Tech's new campus in uh, three miles from my house and George Mason's new innovation campus, et cetera. You know, what if we trained a whole generation of people and how to use data meaningfully? You know, it uh, huge, huge leaps forward in, in the quality of life for mankind. That's amazing. Um, one of the things that, uh, for for those that might not be aware, you are a member of the Congressional AI Caucus, which is an esteemed bipartisan uh, organization launched in 2017. Uh, you are also, uh, you have the really important role of serving on other committees like the Joint Economic Committee and House Committee on Ways and Means. Um, can you share with our audience um, what you, what some of this work is, particularly like the AI caucus, what does it do? Uh, what does this bipartisan uh, organization hope to achieve? Uh, Kathy, there are at least three different threads in that question. Um, let me give you the, the, the most trivial slash existential one, which is uh, Brad Sherman, a member of Congress from California, whose primary concern is worrying about um, artificial intelligence that is sentient um, and and uh, and malevolent, you know the just think Terminator, um, you know when the computers have taken over the world. So we put that there's that theme. Uh, this the second theme, which is a lot more meaningful, is the one that that lies behind Equal AI, which is garbage in, garbage out. You know, being really sensitive to how using historical data for any kind of artificial intelligence is going to necessarily give you outcomes that are based on that historical data. So use that carefully. Uh, Yvette Clark, who a wonderful member of Congress from New York, um, has had a piece of legislation for a couple of years. Um, um, 
the the Algorithmic Integrity Act or yeah, something. Algorithmic Accountability Act. Yep. Accountability. Yeah, which is trying to deal directly with that, and I love being a, a co-sponsor with it. And then the third piece is um, ill-defined, but generated, motivated by the excitement that everyone feels by the promise of artificial intelligence. We have a new member of Congress from California. Um, whose name I'll remember in a minute, who went to Caltech, so you know, he's a smart guy, and made a fortune in the video game business. Um, but it's, again, a, a part of his education was in AI. I think he actually has a master's or a PhD in it, so way better educated than I am. So the Republican piece is around, you know, more what's it going to do for business um, and what's it going to do for the economy in the years to come, and how do we need to be training people? If there was uh, uh, one thing that you could wish, uh, what would you what would you wish for either your constituents or fellow congressional members to know more about when it comes to AI in any of those threads or or beyond? I think, and I, and I, I need to be using this to help educate people myself in the days and years to come is that artificial intelligence is not just about how fast can you make a computer work or what can you teach a computer to do. Um, it's much more about deep, deep problem solving, about um, taking enormous amounts of information and trying to, to find the things within it that, that answer questions in a really meaningful way. Uh, for example, you know, as we move forward on, on COVID um, and the COVID vaccines and, and the biology there, you know, we're going to have a, let me just give one specific example, long COVID. Uh, we've, we've rolled out a number of bills recently on long COVID. Uh, CDC estimates between 8 and 23 million people in America already suffer from long COVID. And it's it's everything from uh, heart, weakened heart to poor lungs to uh, cognitive effects um, Tim Kaine says three quarters of the body feels like it's a, an electrical tingle, you know, like he's up against an electric fence all the time. Uh, lots and lots of, some people just can't get out of bed. Um, it, we're trying to build communities together to feed as much information in as what's happening, both from a symptom standpoint and then ultimately from a biology standpoint. You got all that data together, maybe somebody would get lucky. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to test algorithm after algorithm against all this data? And, and you know, as I understand machine learning, it's an iterative process. Um, you know, you, you start out here and then it gets smaller and smaller. You hone in on the answer little by little by little, just like picking a number between one and a hundred. You know, with every every number you pick, you limit the range or doing Wordle in the morning, you know, um, you, you get closer and closer to the answer. And there are so many ways you can think about it. Um, so just saying that, look, this could be the most powerful problem solving tool that mankind has ever had. Taking the most limited ones we've had and making them exponentially bigger. And if we can begin to solve our problems, then, um, Obviously, what we're about is maximizing the quality of life for every human being and maximizing the possibilities of humanity. Well, you've clearly demonstrated your savvy uh, for the potential benefits and hazards of AI. Uh, you're clearly 
enthusiastic about about some of the benefits um, and, and mindful of the downfalls. What do you see specifically as some of the greatest potential threats to your constituents and society as a whole when it comes to AI? And on the flip side, now that you're deeper into it, you're studying AI in your home, I know there's some conversations about computer science. What are some of the benefits that you're most excited to help us bring to fruition? Yeah, I'm sure there are lots of, of downsides that I haven't thought about. The, the, the most frequent one that's going to come up is the displacement of jobs. And, that, and we, we've already seen a lot of that through the coronavirus pandemic. When you can use AI to do something faster, um, more reliably than you can use a human being to do it, um, awful lot of not just businesses, but institutions, universities and nonprofits and everyone else will be able to use that too. Just think about um, uh, how many times you go to register for something right now. Whereas, you know, I'm, when I went to college, you came in and registered in person handwriting, you know, and turned in a card. And now, obviously, our whole lives are driven by being registered, uh, doing things on computers. Um, but AI could could accelerate that in a lot of ways where you needed a human before to sort something out, but you don't anymore. And when you get to just pattern recognition, which is one of the things that AI is so very good at, I was thinking today, um, you know, pattern recognition is something that shows up really early in babies, um, but it shows up in our puppy too. I mean, the dog knows when he comes in for a walk, he gets a treat, right? Mm -hmm. He figured that, mm -hmm. that pattern out right away. Mm -hmm. He didn't need to do it two times. Mm -hmm. And so that, so that that has real relevance, I think, for, for employment. But then the, the other piece is, um, I would say, the Philip K. Dick predicament, um, where AI predicts that you are going to be a, a criminal uh, a pedophile or a murderer and takes early action because the prediction is there. And that turns out not to be who you are at all. That humanity is always going to be more complicated than a, a, a machine can figure out. You know, I mean, we can't figure out, we have the most complicated machine of all and we can't figure each other out, you know? So trying to make sure that AI doesn't really limit people's options and potential and future and the like. And that, I think that gets to some of the equal AI's concerns is, you know, if you're only considering white men, then black men and women, et cetera, won't be concluded. Or uh, I know with our work on, on long COVID, the greatest concern is coming from low income black women who've been really hard hit by the COVID and don't feel that they are in any of the research groups right now for how to deal with it. And treating them may well be very different. And the causes may be quite different also. On the positive side, uh, it's endless. You know, Miriam knows we try to do a lot of work on suicide prevention. And we have 47,000 Americans take their lives every year. And so the, the new lifelines can be exciting. And we're doing all these backup call centers. So if a given call center can't take the call, it, it'll go to somebody in Houston that's been trained to answer it, et cetera. The cultural training for people, so Indian reservations and inner city and the like. But I keep thinking we have this huge body of evidence now and growing all the time about the, the life and times um, of a person who has just taken their own life. Um, what if you could use artificial intelligence to try to try you know, rigorous iterative algorithms to try to find out how better to predict 
right now, the only prediction I know is somebody's walking talking about it or giving all their stuff away. But there are lots of people that you have no idea it was coming. But maybe with artificial intelligence, we'll be able to make a dramatic difference in that number. All you need to do is intervene because uh, most people don't try it twice. 80% will never try to kill themselves a second time. So if we can eliminate that first try, we're, we're, we're going to be home free with vast majority of the cases. So, and, and that's just one example. I'm sure between the three of us in an hour, we could come up with 250 more really humane uses of artificial intelligence. You've been listing out the dual nature of AI. Uh, you've named a number of risks, but also a number of uh, AI for good use cases. Um, you have a very unique vantage point uh, inside the room where it happens, as they say. Um, what do you perceive as the greatest challenge for lawmakers when it comes to ensuring the responsible creation of AI and implementation of AI and uh, monitoring of it? Uh, I think the hardest part is going to be uh, understanding how it works. Um, the, the dilemma is, with some exceptions, um, you know, Congressman Bill Foster from Illinois or Sean Caston from Illinois, or, there, there are a lot of really smart people in Congress. There's some not so smart, too. It's, it's a bell-shaped curve like all of humanity. You know, there um, and but the dilemma is that most of them come at life from a political science perspective. You know, politics isn't a natural attraction for for people that are um, uh, science driven or math driven or or even necessarily very numerative. And I think all those are necessary. Um, they don't have to be able to do the math. They just have to be able to think in terms of problem solving skills, um, rather the interpersonal skills. People in Congress usually have great interpersonal skills. They can walk up to somebody they don't know, make friends in just a couple of minutes. But that's a different skill set, a different perspective to have, a life, life ethos to understand how AI is going to work well. However, I, I'm not pessimistic. I think um, we just have to continue to push forward. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of other things out there, like cryptocurrency, you know, <laughs> that mystify everybody. Yeah. Yeah, it does seem with this one, with artificial intelligence, half of the battle is just demystifying it and relating it to other forms of technology that they that people are more familiar with. Um, people on the Hill are savvy. They're used to picking up new topics and understanding the impact of different innovations all the time. Um, I think part of it is just getting through this um, bias of thinking of AI as something that's mathematical and only for computer science and understanding that it's something we all not only need to, we actually are all involved in <laughs> every day in our uses. And it's really just problem solving, you know, and being able to learn from the past in a more sophisticated way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and speaking to the sophisticated ways that you are uh, helping us learn from the past with some of the bills that you've sponsored and supported. Um, would love if you could share with our listeners some of the AI-related legislation that you've supported and, and why it's important. For instance, I know in 2020, you co-sponsored H.R. 1250, which expressed a set of principles that should guide the national AI strategy. Uh, as you mentioned, you've been a co-sponsor of the Algorithmic Accountability Act. Uh, you've also reintroduced legislation
Commission to strengthen the existing Office of Technology Assessment. You know, if you wouldn't mind telling us, why are these worthy of your name? And or if you had your way, what's the legislation you would want to see and pass that would best support responsible AI leadership and AI equity? Well, I, th I think the first one you mentioned, H.R. 1250, um, is the one that most excites me and the one that I'd love to see us pass first because it sets the ground rules. You know, once you, you get the rules of the game and and this, in that particular case, talk about the ideals that AI needs to live up to, um, that could guide and structure everything that comes after that. Uh, I see the, the Algorithmic uh, Accountability Act as almost a subset of it, because it says specifically, look, we're going to we make sure we need to hold people accountable um, for being aware of the impact that the choice of in go, in, incoming data, inputting data is going to have on the output. Um, and then in terms of oversight, I'm not worried. I, th I think we'll be able to, to do a, a good job there. Uh, the hard part, um, and, and this is not meant to be whining, um, there's so much good legislation that goes in that never gets heard. We, we if I could fix one thing in Congress, it would be to get away from a two and a half day work week. Um, and because there's just not enough time there for people to come together and actually do the work. Apparently the, this notion of going home every weekend started with Newt Gingrich in 1994, 1995, but, but people come in on Monday night and they're at the airport by noon on Thursday. And the time in between is, is frenetically filled. Uh, we, we get to the big things, sometimes and these are well you know compared to build back better or the american rescue plan these are little things but but we should be having hearings on them and markups and voting on them and putting them into the law right now and there's no reason why we why we can't do that there's i don't think there's significant there's not a big anti-ai caucus <laughs> or, or a group of people that says we, we hate um, having standards, uh, there's just the, the time to take it up and, and making it a priority, which is, I think, one of the should be one of the great challenges of the AI caucus is banging on the doors of the chairs of the respective committees and saying, uh, we need to vote this out of committee. We need to make sure it gets on the floor and send it to the Senate. And then all bets are off. But you know, we can we can then work with our senators to make something happen there. I, I love all of that. That is fantastic. Um, you mentioned earlier about creating an, um, a level playing field or, or an even uh, floor. Um, I've often heard similar comments uh, specifically around facial recognition. Different companies do it in different ways and, and uh, it seems like different states, counties, cities are, are all uh, creating different um, uh, regulations around uh, facial recognition. Um, can you tell us more about some of the amendments that you have suggested for artificial intelligence and facial recognition uh, technology? And what were some of the uh, issues that you've sought to address with those uh, amendments? Hey, Kathy, it's interesting that the 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 growing ubiquity of cameras in public places has allowed law enforcement to solve a lot of cases pretty quickly. I'm thinking right now about the Sacramento shooters 
um, just a, a week or so ago. Very tragic. And those those were not just there were street cameras. Also, people that were shooting things with their phone and the like. But they were able to pretty quickly for something that happened at one thirty-two in the morning, figure out who the five likely suspects were and have them arrested. Um, so that's the good news. The bad news is we know that with police body cameras, um, there have been a number of un- unhappy and sometimes tragic cases where they've gone and arrested or hassled um, or frisked or whatever the wrong person. That's because they thought it looked like, sure, it looks like Miriam Vogel on this camera. <laughs> And and this is especially true. And we know all the anecdotal stories about, um, you know, running through a million pictures of a white man. And then surprisingly, you put a black man in there, it doesn't come up. Or, um, so I, I've, I've been leading legislation a number of times for banning the use of police body cameras, facial recognition on police body cameras. Not banning it overall and certainly not banning it in the private sector but trying to make sure that um, those tragedies don't reoccur. People with guns in dangerous situations that are used to dealing with bad guys. Um, so it's as with so many things in life, there's a yin and a yang and we have to find the right balance. There's certainly merit when you think about looking for a fugitive at an airport to be having facial recognition on those cameras overall, but there's also a downside when you think um, is there no privacy in the world anymore? <laughs> yeah. And everybody wants that person to be identified as quickly as possible. The downside is if they're identifying the wrong person, then we're no safer and that person's life is ruined. So as you say, the yin and the yang and getting it right, given the stakes at that moment and for our society um, with these emerging technologies. But It'd be unfair to say that all of this should be on Congress to figure out. There, there are other non-legislative measures that um, Congress has supported and that other body, other government bodies uh, are considering. Um, for instance, the, there was the creation by Congress of the National AI Initiative Office, uh, which is housed at the White House. Also at the White House, the AI Bill of Rights that the Office of Science and Technology Policy put forward. Wondering if you have thoughts about what are some important steps and who are some other key players that you would like to see get involved in supporting effective, inclusive artificial intelligence? Well, I'm really excited about both those initiatives at the White House. Those are really forward, forward looking and hopefully would be sustained, you know, future presidents. Um, in terms of the obviously the academic community is incredibly important. Um, but I think having the, you know, Francis Collins right now is the president's acting science advisor. Francis and whoever succeeds him, I think it would be incredibly important to make sure that the person who's in charge of science in America is excited about AI as, as the three of us are. Um, and that uh, also, at least in Washington, um, you sort of measure how important something is by how much money you put behind it. So you don't want to have an, uh, an office of AI um, innovation at the White House that's two or three people. You want to make sure that it's, it's robust enough to actually make a difference rather than just reading the clips on what's happening on AI around the country. You have uh, spent a lot of time working with lawmakers, not only across the aisle, but across the ocean. Uh, as we know, the U.S. has not developed a national AI regulatory regime yet. However, the EU um, has uh, uh, created this draft EU AI Act. 
Uh, what do you think that U.S. lawmakers can learn from EU or perhaps other countries um, with their proposed regulations and how they're how they're approaching it? Well, I'm really impressed talking to the, those EU parliamentarians who've been working on this and and the ones in the UK Parliament. It's exciting, and um, this is going to sound embarrassing, but I think that they are ahead of us and more sophisticated than we are in general. Um, not the populace, but members in their parliaments working on this. So I think we need to steal their legislation um, and, and moderate it for our own culture, sensibilities, law and the like. And then also be really careful not to tell, tell them in Congress that we got it from the EU. Because <laughs> <laughs> le- at least half the Congress would make would kill that thing on our private <laughs> All right. Sounds like we've got a game plan here. Um, One other thing we wanted to ask you about pivoting a bit is you do so much work to celebrate and benefit the next generation. And you have seen public service in in so many different facets. You've been involved in developing uh, public servants. And and as a public servant, you've, you've Uh, committed so much of your life and time and energy um, to the cause. I'm wondering what advice you would give a young person listening today as to how they should or could get involved in public service to have an impact and whether it's AI policy or another initiative that they care about. Well, I, I, you know, I deeply believe in in public service. I think it's, um, well, just making a life of service, whether it's public or not, is where most of us are going to find our happiness our fulfillment, and our best friends, uh, maybe even the people that we spend our lives with. Um, if so if it's politics, it's getting involved in campaigns. You know, I don't, you know, whether you're a Democrat, Republican, or a Green Party, whatever, just go out and make a difference. Try to elect the people um, at every level that reflect the values, you have the values that you have. And then also, to the extent that you can do it, um, and it's fun for you, go work in it. Um, the young people that are my policy folks uh, are just terrific and they're really smart and I think they're happy. You know, if you believe that happiness comes from uh, finding meaning in the work you're doing, I, I, yeah, they all seem to be pretty cheerful. Um, and, and I think they can go home at night saying, you know, they were working on things that could make a real difference in people's lives. Uh, but, but there are many, many ways to do that, including you know, running a business honorably and well and building a big culture there, teaching well, you know, um, being a good parent. There's there's lots of ways. And in fact, all of us should be pursuing all of them. I love that. That's that's amazing. We could definitely talk to you for much, much longer, but I'm afraid like we're coming up on time. So uh, we usually like to close the show by asking our guests if they had a magic wand to request uh, one wish to achieve responsible AI, what would that wish be? For me, the most um, imaginative, responsible use of AI would be to plumb, use artificial intelligence to plumb the the deep structural differences in Americans' understanding of the world. You know, we are so divided in the, the division um, on everything from vaccines to guns to abortion to the use of force is perhaps tearing our democracy apart um, in a worst case and certainly making it very difficult to do the kinds of constructive policies that would make our, our country better for everybody. Well, thank you, Congressman Beyer. We 
hope that someone invents that artificial intelligence technology. In the meantime, we're so fortunate we have you fighting the good fight and looking out for all of us uh, from your perch in the Congress. Thank you very much for inviting me to be on the show. And I hope somebody listens. <laughs> I know they will. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, Kathy, as we thought, that was another illuminating conversation. It is so interesting to hear Don Byer's assessment of what's happening in Congress, what's possible, how he can impact artificial intelligence, what the benefits and hazards are, uh, both from a regulatory perspective as well as a human. What were some of the main takeaways from you? Yeah, I mean, he's he's a huge enthusiast for the potential of AI, and he named a number of AI for good applications uh, that that he is hopeful for. But at the same time, he's also very aware of the potential for harm and the need to ensure uh, that we have regulations or safeguards in place. Um, he talked about how much he's been learning uh, in school as he's he's getting his degree in AI and um, the potential, like imagine the potential, he said, if everyone could get this education. And that really dovetails into what he mentioned as uh, one of the biggest challenges for members of, of Congress when it comes to regulating AI, and that's understanding how it works, just the sheer complexity of it all, and how do we ensure that the regulations we are creating are meaningful and helpful uh, in, in ensuring that AI is going to bring all of this good to the world that we're all hoping for. Yeah, it's fortunate. We clearly have a representative in Don Byer who understands the complexity of this uh, innovation of artificial intelligence, as well as uh, the benefits if we get it right. Uh, I, I appreciate his philosophical perspective and his grounding um, in understanding that humanity is complicated and probably at the end of the day more complicated than a machine can figure out. And so uh, what an important understanding to have as he thinks through the regulation of, of how much we can allow artificial intelligence to run off in its own course without having humans in the loop. Obviously, there's always going to be a role for humans. And while he mentioned the, the challenges and the perception that AI will take away jobs, I think that main point, his philosophical point about the complexity of humanity really ensures our, our job safe security. There's always going to be a role for humans in ensuring that AI stays the course and does what it's intended to do. Uh, and I also appreciate his um, very practical perspective on what Congress needs to be doing. It needs to set the ground rules. It needs to establish legislation, whether it's begged or borrowed from across the pond or, or created on its own, where we have and uh, legislation and, and uh, guardrails that understand and establish what are the ground rules, um, what is it that we expect AI to live up to, what are the safeguards that will be in place, um, especially as he alluded, as we have more and more data collection, whether it's facial recognition or uh, technical data that's being collected exponentially more every day, there is an opportunity to do so much more as well as a harm if we don't intervene and make sure it's being done in a responsible way. Yes, uh, it was it was really fantastic to hear all of his his points, and it's great to know that he is there in Congress uh, thinking through all of these complexities. 
Agreed. So Kathy, thank you so much for jumping in while Kay is away. It was great to do this episode with you and I look forward to our future conversations. Yes. Thank you so much. Subscribe to or download our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. We always welcome your feedback. And if you like the podcast, please rate us or give us a review. To learn more or get involved, visit us at www.equalai.org and www.weforum.org. And a special thanks to NP Agency, without whom this podcast would not be possible.